Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. If we all paused for a minute and thought about what it really meant to believe God, to believe in God, to believe that there was a God, if we really thought about all of the implications of that, then I think we would come to some really uncomfortable conclusions. I mean, if we really thought about it. I have been a Christian my entire life. I have pictures of me with some guy pouring water over my head when I was just a tiny baby. And, and so I, I have grown up in it, and I can tell you that even after being a Christian my entire life, going to Christian schools and, and being in church, there are things about Christianity that if I really think them through, they're just a little bit uncomfortable. And those uncomfortable things about Christianity can lead us to have doubts. And yet, when we think about the idea of a godless universe, of a, of a universe that's simply made up of chemistry that's formed into biology and that's governed by physics, for many of us, that's also very uncomfortable. And so, consequently, what is happening in our society and what we're seeing today is that more and more people are letting go of religion, and especially Christianity, and yet they're, they're not quite running towards atheism. And so they find themselves just lost in the middle. And if you have lost your faith in God, or if you are someone who is losing your faith in God, or maybe you're one of those people who have heard about God, it's kind of interesting to you, but... You haven't been able yet to make that move, to make that decision, to to have faith in God. Then here's the good news for you. From the very beginning of humanity, people have been losing faith in God's. There was a time in our history when the most advanced civilization in the entire world worshipped the sun. Centuries later, the most advanced civilization in the entire world worshipped Zeus. In the time of the Roman Empire, they worshipped Jupiter and Mars and Neptune. And here we are, fast forward a couple of thousand years later, and there's very few people who worship the sun. There's very few people who still worship Jupiter or Mars or Neptune. They gave up on those gods. And throughout the history of humanity, people gave up on God's All the time. All the time. Richard Dawkins sums it up like this, and I I love this quote. He says, We are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one god further. And when he says one god further, what he means is they want to get rid of all of the gods. That's what atheists believe. There is no god. They want to get rid of them all. But did you know that the first century Christians were considered atheists? The people around them called the Christians atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. They didn't worship them. They didn't worship the Caesars. So they were considered atheists by the population, not just the Romans, but by even the population outside of Rome because they wouldn't accept the Roman gods. They wouldn't accept the godness that the Caesars were supposed to have. And yet the Christians would argue, they would say, back up, back up a second, hold on. 
It's not that we don't believe that there is a God. It's that we believe that you guys have the wrong God. And so last week, I talked about how, how I've listened to many people who have, who, have, who have told their stories about how they left Christianity. I've read, podcast, I've read blogs and I've listened to podcasts about people who tell the story of how and why they left Christianity. Some of them are people that I know who've told me the story. I've known them for years. And out of all of those stories that I've heard and all of the stories that I've read, I have never heard anyone, never heard anyone talk about the reasons that they left Christianity that had anything to do with actually being a Christian. So I listen to these stories, and I listen to the things that they're saying, and I listen to how they feel and what they think about God, and I want to grab them by the shoulders, and I just want to say, who? Who was it that gave you this idea? Who was it that told you that that is what God is like? I mean, who gave you that picture of God? Because maybe... You have the wrong God. Now, when you listen to the stories of, of the process of what we're going to call today as de-Christianization, when you listen to the stories, uh, there are about two or three different versions of, of that story, uh, of people letting go of Christianity. And they usually go like this. They grew up in a religious environment, they experienced a childhood conversion, and then they transitioned to an irreligious environment. You know, they started college, they went away to school, they moved away from home, they got a brand new set of friends, and all of a sudden they're no longer in that religious environment that they grew up in. They transitioned out of that into an irreligious environment. And you liked it. A lot. <laughs> Right? It wasn't just that you liked it. You saw that it was better. And all of a sudden, you began asking adult questions about your childhood faith. And you received faith-based answers to fact-based questions. And when you hear people talk about this happening to them, you hear them say one thing in common. That as they started to move along through life, they came to the realization that I don't believe anymore. See, belief is an interesting thing. You can't just turn it on and off. Right? It's like my mother. When, when I tell her, I'm talking to her and I say, well, I'm really worried about this. She'll say, just don't worry. Now, how many times has that ever worked? Right? You can't just decide to not worry. You can't just decide what you believe and what you don't believe. You can't just one day go, you know what, today, I think I'm going to believe in unicorns. Right? It doesn't work that way. It's not as simple as just deciding to believe. And so listen, you can go to church every week, and it doesn't mean that you believe something. And yet, you know people who have stopped going to church every week, and it doesn't mean that they don't believe. And so if you've stopped believing, if you're one of those people who is here with us today, if you're listening to us online, and you're one of those people who just decided one day that you've just, you can't believe anymore. You don't, you don't believe anymore. You probably don't even know when that happened. 
It might have been while you were driving to work one day or you're brushing your teeth in the morning. You're laying in bed at night and it just kind of hits you. You know what? I know mom called me and said, hey, are you going to church this weekend? But I just don't believe anymore. Or maybe your conversion story was like this. You grew up in a religious environment. You experienced a childhood conversion. And then you experienced a faith-crushing event in your life. Maybe your parents divorced. Someone in your family passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. I don't know what it was, but there was something in your life that happened that destroyed your faith. If it didn't destroy it, it really hurt it a lot. And then you began asking adult questions about your childhood faith, and you continued to receive faith-based answers to fact-based questions. And as you started to evaluate the things that were happening in your life, the experiences that you were having, you came to the realization that you can't believe anymore. Right? You may have wanted to believe, but you couldn't because you couldn't reconcile the God that you were taught about in your childhood with the realities of your life. And since you can't deny the realities of life, right? Because you're going to go to bed tonight and tomorrow morning, it's going to be the same thing. There's going to be bills to pay. There's going to be Children to feed, right? There's work to do. You can't stop the realities of life. And since you can't deny the realities of life, you just come to this conclusion that I want to, but I just can't believe anymore. Or maybe yours was more of a hybrid. Maybe you grew up in a religious environment, you experienced a childhood conversion, and nothing happened in your life that destroyed your faith. Nothing. There was no event. You didn't move away. You didn't... You didn't go away to college and lose your faith, but you had questions. And your parents, they didn't have a good answer for you. Your pastor's answer wasn't really an answer. Have you ever asked somebody that, something, and they're like, they give you an answer, and you're like, that really didn't answer the question. Right? Maybe you read a book or you watched a video, and, and you couldn't hold on anymore. There was just nothing compelling or attractive about it, and not intentionally, not with any planning, but one day you realized that you had just let go of your faith. And if someone asked you, you, you you'd say something like, yeah, you know, I used to be religious. I, I, I grew up as a Christian. And the odds are that if, if you're talking to somebody and you tell them that, the odds are that they're going to talk back at you and they're going to say, yeah, me too. And one thing you will discover as you listen to all of these stories of de-Christianization, you're going to see that the versions of Christianity that most people step away from have two things in common. Now, I say versions of Christianity because if you grew up in a church, if you grew up uh, in, a, in, a, in a religious home or, or in a religious tradition, you have a version of Christianity. It might have been a very fundamentalist version. It might have been a very liberal version. It might have been super charismatic or super Catholic or super Baptist or super Adventist, right? And even within a particular denomination or a particular religious group, there are versions of Christianity within that. And these versions can be very, very different. 
And the people who step away from the version they grew up with or who step away from the version that they were a part of when they stepped away from Christianity, you'll see that, that these versions have two things in common. And that is that they, both, they have either or both a somebody told me so God and a for the Bible tells me so Jesus. A somebody told me so God. Somebody told you about God. Somebody told you what God was like. Somebody told you what the Bible said about God. And you had a picture that was formed in your mind based on what somebody told you. And that was the God that you stepped away from. Or it was the, for the Bible tells me so, Jesus. You know, just like the song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Let's see. See, you guys all know it. And that was the answer to everything. You had questions, and the answer was always, the Bible says this, or the Bible teaches that. And the problem was that their answers didn't reconcile with your reality. And so you stepped away. And in every version of Christianity that I have heard of, where someone has stepped away, there is always some version of the somebody told me so God, or the for the Bible tells me so, Jesus. Now next week, we are going to talk tells me so, Jesus. Yeah. They've got six of them back there, so we'll get this. Next week, we're going to talk about the for the Bible tells me so, Jesus. But today, I want to talk about the somebody told me so, God. Now, the best description that I've ever read about this is, is, you know, this tension is, you know, this tension where you grew up in the church and you grew up in a religious home and, and God was presented to you by your parents or maybe your priest or your pastor and you believed what they told you. You just believe because you're a kid, right? And when you're a kid, you believe what people tell you. And so there's a lady and her name is Karen Armstrong and, and she's an author. She's written several books and you know, this lady, she has a brilliant mind, and she does TED Talks. And, and the thing about Karen that I find most fascinating is that Karen is a double nun. She's a double nun. She was a Roman Catholic nun, N-U-N, who left her version of Christianity and became more identified with a nun, N-O-N-E, a person who we talked about last week who has just left Religion. And in her book, A Case for God, this is what she writes. She writes this. She says, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of the Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed. Now, if you're a person who has stepped away from God, this may have been your experience. But I'll bet you, if you haven't, there's someone in your life 
someone in your family who stepped away from Christianity, and this was probably their experience. Because it, to some degree, we have all experienced this, right? Because even if you were a Christian, for most Christians, we were taught about God when we were very, very young. And our idea of God developed as we grew up. And so today, I want to talk about the gods that we grew up with. The gods that we grew up with that do not exist. The gods that we grew up with that we should not believe in anymore if we still believe in those gods. So the first god that we grew up with is Secret Service God. I know, they're fancy names, but I want you to remember it. The first god that we grew up with is Secret Service God. Just like the Secret Service protects the president, we grew up with this idea that God is like the Secret Service. That he walks around and he protects us wherever we go. That he always takes care of us. That God won't allow bad things to happen to good people. That's what you were taught. But then you grew up. And you got older. And you saw that really, really bad things happened to really, really good people. And it shook your faith. Because there's no such thing as Secret Service God. Because bad things happen to good people all the time. And I know that this can be very emotional for us to talk about. Because for some of you, you have based your entire understanding of God in the idea that God is going to protect you all the time. And for some of you, in your life today, you know some really, really good people. Some people that you love and you care about. And they've had some really crappy things happen to them. And so many really intelligent, thoughtful, reasonable people have abandoned religion and have abandoned God because of all of the pain and suffering in the world and all of the pain and suffering in their own life. And we come to this conclusion that if bad things happen to good people, then how can there possibly be a good God? Come on, you know you've thought about it. You know that you've experienced a tragedy in your life or someone close to you has experienced a tragedy and you thought to yourself, where was God? See, this argument is based on the assumption, on the assumption that somewhere God said that he would never allow bad things to happen to good people. That is not an argument for Christianity. In fact, Christianity started with a horrible, horrible thing happening to a very, very good person. And if at some point the early Christians had taught or someone had presented to the people this idea that God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people, then Christianity would have died in the first century. Because all of the best people in Christianity in the first century, all of the heroes of the church, were treated horribly by both the religious leaders and the government leaders. So I don't know who presented you with this idea that God can't allow bad things to happen to good people because it just isn't possible. And if that's what you were told, then you weren't told that by Christianity. And if you have lost faith 
in secret service God, then good. Because that God does not exist. And you had the wrong God. Now, very similar to secret service God is good guy God. God is a good guy. And good guy God responds to fair and reasonable requests the way you would expect a good guy to respond to fair and reasonable requests, right? You would, at the very least, expect good guy God to respond to you the same way that he responds to your brother-in-law, <laughs> right? I mean, if your brother-in-law can get a new car every year, why can't I, right? And so we pray to good guy God, right? When you're in high school, you're like, God, just give me a date. Just one, one girl. That's all I'm asking for, right? I'm not asking for a big thing. I just want something reasonable. And you think, if there is this personal God, then when I want something that's reasonable and not too outrageous, or when I need something in my life just so that I can have a normal life, you know, like a job, You expect that good guy God should do what I want or give me what I need. I mean, come on. God is good. He's a good guy. I mean, getting me a new car is nothing for God. Getting me a raise at work should be no problem for God. And so you prayed to the good guy God, and nothing happened. You asked him to give you something, and nothing happened. And you came to this place in your life where you needed a miracle. And you asked him for a miracle. And nothing happened. So the question is, who told you that? Who told you that God is, to, is supposed to respond the way that we expect him to? Who told you that God is under some obligation to do what we expect him to do? See, that is a somebody told me so God, and that God does not exist. And let me tell you, it is a good thing that that God doesn't exist. Because if that God answered my reasonable prayers when I was in high school, <laughs> man, my life would be a total mess today. If God listened to some of your reasonable requests, some of you would be married to the wrong person today. Or your kids may never have existed. Good guy God does not exist. Now, the next God is Superman God. Now, Superman God is powerful. He's smart. He's strong. He can leap a tall building in a single bound. Right? He's amazing. But Superman has a weakness. What is it? Kryptonite. Kryptonite. Superman has a weakness, and so Superman stays away from Kryptonite. Now, there are places where Superman God also stays away from. And you were taught this, some of you, I was, when you were growing up, right? You were told that if you go to the movie theater, God couldn't go in there with you because there's Kryptonite in there, and God can't go in there, right? He would stop at the door. Because bad things happened on the screen and in the seats 
at the movie theater. And that was Superman God's kryptonite. And so he stayed away. He wouldn't go in. And as you grew older, there were more places where Superman God wouldn't go, right? You were told that Superman God wouldn't go with you to a rock concert. He wouldn't go with you to a bar. He definitely wasn't going with you into the casino. Right? Whenever something bad was happening, God couldn't go. And whether you like it or not, what you started to think about was that if God had to stay away from bad places, then maybe he had to stay away from bad people. And when life started to come at you, as it always does for all of us, and you started to make mistakes, you started to wonder if God was staying away from you. And you felt like God kind of lost faith in you. And so you kind of lost faith in God. And if you lost faith in Superman God, then I am glad because Superman God does not exist. The fourth one is touchy-feely God. Touchy-feely God is the God where you always feel his presence. Right? It feels so good. I can feel God. Right? If you've ever been to Christian camp, you're singing the songs, right? And you're holding hands and there's a fire. And, and, and you're like, oh, I can really feel the presence of God here. You can't describe it. You just know God is here. I can feel it. After all, if God is always with me, then I should feel that he's always with me, right? And when you're young or, or maybe when you just became a Christian, you've experienced those moments where you felt him with you. You felt that. You, you knew he was there. But then you get older and time passes and you don't sense anything. And you think, God, I want to feel your presence. I want to feel it. And you go to church and you see these guys sitting in the front row. They've got their hands in their air and their eyes are closed. And man, they are just feeling it. And you're standing right next to him. You can smell his underarm. And he's all into it and you don't feel a single thing. And you're like, is this guy faking it? Because if God is here and he's feeling him, then how come I'm getting nothing? See, at some point, someone told you that God is always with you, that you heard this, God will never leave you or forsake you. And so if he's never going to leave you, you want to feel his presence there. But you don't feel anything and you think, okay, I want to feel God's presence. I don't feel God's presence. So maybe God isn't present. And you think, okay, who told you that? Who gave you the idea that you have to always feel God's presence? See, somebody gave you that expectation. The things that are most present in our life, we don't think about. And yet we expect to feel God all the time. And someone gave you the expectation that you're supposed to feel him, and you waited. You waited an hour. You waited a week. The week became a month. The month turned into years. And you waited, and you waited, and you felt nothing. And you wanted to just walk away. Mother Teresa 
wrote about the fact that, and we only read it after she passed away, but she wrote about the fact that she went years, years, serving God's people, serving God without feeling his presence. So if you quit believing in touchy-feely God, then good, because that God doesn't exist. Now, this next one is a big one, and this is the one that we, we run into the most, and, and it hits us the hardest, and, and it's, it's the one that we have the most trouble shaking. This is the God that chases us from our childhood into our adulthood, and that no matter how badly we want to stop believing in him, he always seems to hang around. This is guilt God. Guilt God controls us with guilt and fear. If it's fun, the answer is no. If it has to do with sex, the answer is no, 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 no. Right? Guilt God loves you, but he doesn't really like you. And for some reason, for some of you, you were raised being told about guilt God. You were told this by your parents, your teachers, your pastor, or your priest. Someone told you about guilt God. And when you got to the age where you could run away from guilt God, you ran. But there's something about guilt God that even when we run, it sticks with us. So if you were able to run away hard enough and fast enough that you quit believing in God altogether, then I am happy for you. Because isn't life so much better without guilt, God? Because guilt, God, does not exist. Now, here's another one where the church has just done this amazing job of messing it up. Anti-science God. This is the God where we're forced to choose between science, undeniable science, and unreliable religion. And so for most of us, this is what happens. We hear about God when we're young, and then we go to school. And at school, we learn. We learn about science. We learn about all of these technological advances that, that the world has made. And the advances in, in technology and science are just undeniable. They're proven. We've seen it. But then you talk to your parents or your pastor, and they give you explanations that are unreliable. But you want to believe, and so you try, and, and you kind of keep one eye open but one eye closed, right? You try to pretend, but you reach a point where you can't pretend anymore. You try to defend, but, but you reach a point where you realize that you have nothing solid to stand on. And you get tired of living with one eye open and one eye closed. And then you have to choose between religion and science. And if you're honest, science wins. Right? And yet we get the message. The message that we get sometimes is that the message that we get, especially if you grew up in a religious home, sometimes the message you get is this. Stop thinking, just believe. Stop thinking, just believe. Stop asking all of these questions. Just believe. And then you grew up. And it's no wonder that you walked away. In the, in the book, The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins puts it like this. He says, one of the truly bad effects of religion 
is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. And so for those of you, when you were a kid, when you, when you sat in a class at your church on the weekends and you were told about a God that just can't be reconciled with silence, with science. Now, listen, you do not have to choose between God or science. And Christians, some of you, you don't think that this is true. You think you do have to believe it, but, I, but it is true. And I can prove it to you with your own actions. All of you who are Christian parents and grandparents, when your child is sick, where do you take them? You don't take them to the church, right? You take them to the doctor. And if the doctor examines your child and says, you know, we need to run some tests. And we need to take some blood work. We're going to figure out what's wrong. You do it. right? You don't argue with them. And you go home and you wait by the phone for the test results. Now, you pray, and you tell your friends and your family to pray, but you're still waiting by the phone. And when the doctor finally calls, and he says, I have the test results, we've analyzed everything, and we've come to this conclusion. God is trying to teach you something. That's not the answer you want to get, right? If that was what your doctor told you, you would get another doctor because we want a natural explanation for a natural problem. We don't want God is trying to teach us something. What we want is a prescription. We want a, a plan for treatment. We want something tangible, something that we can hold on to. Because we want the doctor to do the natural treatment for whatever is wrong with our child. Because when it comes to sickness, all of us want science. It's not that we don't depend on God, but if we have to choose between the two, most of us choose science and then God. And how do I know this? It's because you take the pill first and then you pray. Right? And so one of the things that we have done as a church, as the church, one of the things that we've allowed to happen is that we will send off our children to high school and college with this false impression that science and religion, or in our case, science and Christianity, have to be in conflict. But if we trust science with our health, then why can't we trust science when it comes to the other areas too? And so if someone presented you with anti-science God, then I am sorry. But anti-science God does not exist. And as Christians, we believe this. We believe that God created the world and that everything that science discovers tells us about how God created the world. Now, this last God is the one that many of us fall into the trap of worshiping. I have many, many times. This last God is the Kelevin God. Now, many of you don't know what this means. My son and I, we are huge fans of the TV show, The Office. And in The Office, there's a character, and his name is Kevin. Now, Kevin is one of the accountants in The Office, and towards the end of the series, he gets fired for poor work performance. And so as his replacement is there and going through his work, she runs into a number symbol that appears all over Kevin's work, but she has never seen it before. And so one of the other accountants, Oscar, tells her what that symbol was. 
You see, what happened was Kevin made up a number symbol that he used whenever the numbers didn't add up. And he called it Kelevin. And so if there was no explanation for why column one and column two didn't match, he would just put Kelevin in, right? And this was his saying, a mistake plus Kelevin gets you home by seven. <laughs> oh, Kevin. Kelevin God shows up conveniently as an explanation for everything that we currently can't explain. Whenever something happens that we can't explain, we go, hey, that's God. If it's a good thing, we'll say, man, that was a God thing. Right? So you're going to the mall. The place is packed. It's the Sunday before Christmas. Nowhere to park. You're driving down, and all of a sudden, the guy who's parked in the very first spot pulls away just as you come up. And you say to yourself, man, that was a God. That was the Kalevin God, right? It's a God thing. Well, maybe, but maybe not. And the point is, is that we can easily get to a place where our faith is based on a God that shows up as an that shows up as an explanation for an unexplainable event. And this is a huge issue, because if you believe in that God, belief in that God doesn't strengthen your faith, it undermines it. Because listen, everything that is explainable today used to be unexplainable, right? Everything that we can explain today at one point was unexplainable. And the list of things that are explainable is growing. And the list of things that are unexplainable is shrinking. And so if our faith is based on God being unexplainable, then one day those unexplainable things will become explainable and we'll lose our faith in God. Unexplainable is not evidence for the existence of God. Because here's what I know about you and me. We want more things to be explained, not less. Right? We want more diseases to be cured, not less. We want more scientific discoveries, not less. And so, Christians, we shouldn't be afraid of everything becoming explainable. And sometimes we don't want that. We have seen people say that we're not supposed to know how that works. It's a mystery of God. And so we're afraid that everything is going to become explainable. Now, listen, if everything were explained and explainable, it would not explain away God. I have left my fancy iPhone in my bag. Now, this iPhone is really nice, right? It's got glass that's been beveled. It's got a beautiful screen. It, it recognizes my thumbprint or, or my pinky print, right? I can talk to my mother on the other side of the world. I can text my wife when she is at work. There, I can take pictures of myself. This thing is amazing. Listen, if it was possible for me to know everything about how to build that iPhone, how to shape the glass, how to bevel it, how to assemble it, how each of the, I don't even know, do phones have transistors anymore? 
okay, I grew up in the 50s, so. If I could understand all of the technology and I knew exactly how an iPhone was made, I wouldn't conclude that no one made it. In fact, if I knew exactly how an iPhone works and how it was put together, the only thing that I could conclude is that someone created it. And if you're a Christian and you believe that God created the world, then you believe that he did what on the seventh day? He rested, right? He stopped creating. He set things into motion and then he stopped. Now think about this. If God created everything, if he set into place the laws of physics, if he, if he put into process the process of natural selection, if he created everything and then he stopped, what would you expect to be the result? Wouldn't you expect to see a predictable, stable, explainable universe? That is what we have. And it turns out that it was Christians that launched the modern science movement. Because Christians believe that God created everything and set everything into motion and then he stopped and he allowed us to observe what he created. Before Christianity, there was no point in studying science. Because why would you study science when everything that happened happened at the whim of a pantheon of gods who would do anything and it would be completely unexplainable and completely random and you never knew what was going to happen. It was only because Christians knew that God was explainable, that God was logical, that God was orderly, that they were able to say, we can predict what is going to happen. We can figure out how things happen. So we don't need to be overwhelmed by the unexplainable. Our faith actually rests on the explainable. Because the universe is exactly what we would expect it to be if God created it. So these are the gods we grew up with. Secret service God, good guy God, Superman God, touchy-feely God, guilt God, anti-science God, and my favorite, Kalevin God. And if you stopped believing in them at some point in your life, then good for you. Because none of these gods exist so here's the question I want to ask you. Where did you get your view of God that you struggle to believe in? What part of your belief or understanding of God are you struggling with? And where did it come from? Where did you, if you quit believing in God, where did you get your view of God that you quit believing in? Was it that your God never grew up? Or... Did you outgrow your God? Because for many of you, your childhood God couldn't answer your adult questions. And so you stopped believing and you walked away. It wasn't that what you were taught was wrong. But your answer has to change. See, when, when someone asks you, where do babies come from? Your answer all depends on who's asking, right? Your answer to the five-year-old kindergartner is very, very different from your answer to the 15-year-old high school student, which is very, very different from your answer to the 25-year-old med school student, right? Three different answers, all of them right, all of them true. But we accommodate a person's capacity.
And at some point, from mommy's tummy is no longer a good enough answer. And unfortunately for many people, the God that they grew up with is still the mommy's tummy God. And the mommy's tummy God doesn't have the answer for where you are today. And it isn't your fault. This is the fault of people who do what I do. This is the church's fault. And I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. I'm pointing the finger right here because we are the ones responsible for it. And some of you still have a mommy's tummy God that you have outgrown. But that was the only God you knew. That was the only God that was ever taught to you. And one day you just realized, I don't believe anymore. Or for some of you, you grew up around people who told you about one of those gods, one of the gods that, you grew, that we grew up with. And you started to think, if that's what God is like, then there is no way that I can believe. And you have held off and you've stayed away. You smiled real polite, but there is no way that you're going to get involved with anything that has to do with one of those gods. And listen, if that is your attitude, then I am so happy that you were here today. Because none of those gods exist. And if you've stepped away, I want you to make sure that you have not stepped away from a God that never really existed. Because if you did, you stepped away from a somebody told you so God. And there's nobody, nobody that needs that God. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.